Hey, what's going on, everybody? And welcome to the Kubernetes Unpacked podcast, where we talk about literally everything Kubernetes related from cloud to on-prem, from operations to development, and everything in between. I'm your host, Michael Levan, and I'm joined with Luke Oriana, software engineer over at Microsoft. Luke, what's up, man? Thank you for joining me. Thanks. Thanks for having me here. Awesome, dude. So you are uh, literally in the heart of where a lot of you know Kubernetes-related goodness is happening with AKS, with Azure Container Apps, you know, with, with you know Azure Container Instances. Literally everything, um, you know, container-centric. You're 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 right in the heart of it over at Microsoft. So the first question that I'll ask you, and I like to bring this up for everybody, is what exactly do you do in the Kubernetes space? So at Microsoft, um, on my team, we use Kubernetes heavily. Heavily, um, it's like the go-to uh, platform for apps. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of Kubernetes, a lot of uh, managing Kubernetes with Terraform. So we get we get to have the fun and joy of that. Um, but yeah, that's that's typically our our go-to platform. Awesome, man. Very cool. So, you know, w- w- what you guys are deploying nowadays, it pretty much no more VMs, give or take, you know, maybe a few here and there, but you're primarily working off of Kubernetes for, from an orchestration it, standpoint. Exactly. Yes. So like I'm finding now that like every time I have to touch a VM, it's like much more tedious. I can, I can tell like, oh man, now I'm going to have to mess with config management, all this stuff. So like, yeah, there's a huge difference in you know the the old ways of how we used to manage virtual machines with now containers and kubernetes it's like much much easier to to make changes and to do like any sort of automation right so, yeah yeah you know uh, funny enough i was i was writing something up the other day i forget what it was but you know i was kind of just talking about just like kubernetes in general and some of the things that you get out of the box and you know one scenario that it came to mind was self-healing right so like let's say you take a vm environment well you know first you got to deploy the vm you got to have the operating system then you have to put the application on the operating system and ensure that it runs so then you have to set up monitoring uh, alerting let's say you know uh, the application goes down for whatever reason then you need to have some sort of script some sort of automation that's going to get kicked off automatically via whatever's coming back from your monitoring and alerting. And to kick off that script, it's got to be on the server or it's got to be cloned to the server. It's got to have the proper permissions to run, et cetera, right? Like there's a lot of stuff that goes into just something as simple as, well, it's not simple in the VM world, but in the Kubernetes world, it's simple, self-healing. It's literally out of the box uh, versus if you do it in, you know, more of like a VM style environment, you're going to have a lot of stuff that you have to put together. Exactly. Yep. Yep. All it's kind of like a, a nice uh, little you know, box of all these different solutions. So everything that you would want when hosting an application upon infrastructure. Um, there's also the trade-off though with uh, uh, simplicity. <laughs> so now, now we have all these microservices, all these distributed systems all over the place. Uh, things get a lot more complex. Um, yeah, to be honest, before I, before I started working at Microsoft, I really didn't work in a microservice heavy environment. And so as soon as I, you know, 
got introduced to that, I realized like, oh my gosh, everything is way more complex than, you know, when the app's just installed on the, you know, we have our front end server, our back end server and our SQL server. Like, yeah, it's completely different now. So having that, it, there's more trade-off in complexity. And that's kind of, you know, some of the issues that we see today with, you know, Kubernetes workloads with observability, trying to figure out, you know, what's doing what. Um, but yeah, the automation and the management is is much better for sure. Yeah, I feel like Kubernetes is one of like, typically if you look at something in tech, it's either complex or straightforward. And yes. I feel like with Kubernetes, like it, it does both, right? <laughs> like, you know, yep. for example, if we're thinking about microservices, yeah, because, you know, the applications aren't coupled because they're separate and segregated, it's easier to, for example, do an update on a microservice and still ensure that the application in the cluster is running versus before if you have to you know do an update to a code base you got to bring down the entire application back end middleware front end etc so in in that perspective uh, does it make it more simple yeah but on the flip side now you have multiple microservices multiple code bases multiple container images and you have to secure them all scan them all make sure that they're working appropriately, manage them. Like there's a million things that you have to do. So it's like, there's, it's weird, man. Like Kubernetes is something where it makes life simple, but at the same time, literally at the same time, it makes it more complex. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And, and now like there's, there's so much like more complexity. It's like no one person can just wrap it all in their head anymore. You can't have like the, ever read the phoenix project you can't have the brent who knows everything um so having standardization in place is huge now when managing all these different systems so that, that's that's what i'm finding at least yeah and you know funny enough i, I was having a conversation uh, literally this morning with neil the ceo of portainer and you know we were discussing the fact that like Kubernetes is becoming that thing where it's like, yeah, we just hire a, a Kubernetes person. But the reality is, is that you literally need a team to manage uh, Kubernetes environment. You need somebody that specializes in security, in infrastructure, in networking, in storage, in the development side of things. Like it's not just a one size fits all. Like you said, it's literally a, what feels like an entire team of people that actually need to keep this thing up and running. And then let's not forget the the the, the developer portion of you know running unit uh, writing and running unit tests for your container images, static code analysis for your container images. There's you know tools like CubeScore and CubeVal for static code analysis for Kubernetes manifests. So there's like a, a vast amount of skill needed just in the just in the Kubernetes space, which is you know I, I feel like a little bit buzzwordy, but a lot of people say you know Kubernetes is the new data center, or Kubernetes is the new OS of the cloud. And when you think about the complexity, it actually makes sense. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And there's also the concept of evangelizing Kubernetes to your developing teams, because, you know, not everybody that you hire in is going to be a Kubernetes expert. And you want your developers when they're writing their apps to take full use of Kubernetes. You want them to develop these cloud native apps, but there's a, there's still a huge skills gap. So what I'm seeing is there's a lot of teaching and mentoring on how to do the things the right way in Kubernetes. So that's, yeah, that's really, really interesting to see. Yeah. So 
just out of curiosity, do you see more training and knowledge needed on the ops side of Kubernetes or on the dev side of Kubernetes or just both? <laughs> um, I would say the dev side uh, for sure, because there's different components like networking that are kind of foreign to most developers. Um, yeah, I would say definitely the dev side for sure. Right. With, with infrastructure now, it's kind of becoming like the norm. You know, you want people that have Kubernetes when you hire them in, not necessarily on, you know, the app side. You want your front end developer that's experienced with Java, but it's not necessarily a requirement to know Kubernetes. So. Right. Yeah. And you bring up a good point where, and I, I kind of feel like we've been seeing this where ops kind of has a little bit of an easier time with tools like, or platforms rather, like Kubernetes or, or Azure or whatever. And developers are really the ones that like have to play catch up because, you know, yeah, we are like with Kubernetes, we are making, hopefully <laughs> making application deployment easier, but there's so many pieces to it that it, it, it sometimes it can feel like 20% of it is dev and the other 80% of it is ops with networking, like you said, having to manage load balancers, where traffic is getting routed, is that traffic secure, uh, where the clusters are, how they're being monitored and managed. Like a lot of Kubernetes comes down to that, whereas it seems like a smaller amount goes into the dev side of the house. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, uh, it kind of reminds me of a kind of a funny scenario I've seen a few times is with um, Kubernetes health probes, mm -hmm. where they, you ha in Kubernetes you have like your liveness probe, your readiness probe. They're continuously pinging these pods. So if you write your app to log to app insights, I've seen it where um, if you scale out your app to like ninety pods, you're basically DDoSing app insights. Right. So. Uh, that's, that's one thing I've seen. There's, a, there's kind of a learning, learning curve there when, when developing like your application on Kubernetes. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, and even, you know, going a little bit deeper there, there's a probe called the startup probe. And what it essentially does is it looks at your application to make sure that it, you know, started up properly, obviously that's in the name. Uh, and then it kind of just, you know, goes away and, and, and then that's where the readiness probe or the liveness probe takes over. But something that I've, I've seen is, you know, people say, Oh, like, I don't want to use the startup probe. So then I'll just use the liveness probe to do the same thing. And, you know, <laughs> after 300 seconds or whatever, let's check to make sure it's up and running. But the problem is, is that, then you don't have anything checking to make sure the application is running. So until 300 seconds later or, or whatever the case may be. So it's, yeah, th there's, there's a lot that definitely goes into that side of it and making sure that the application is even running the way that you want it to, because at the end of the day, like a container could be up and running, a pod could be up and running, but is the application in the pod or the container rather in the pod running the way that you're expecting? Or what if, you know, you have a sidecar, so maybe you're doing some log aggregation and it's tightly coupled to your application. So you have a sidecar container. And uh, for those of you listening that don't know what that is, it's essentially multiple containers inside of a pod, but you only want to do it in special use cases, like for example, a log aggregator. So then the question becomes like, are both of the containers running the way that you're expecting. So yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes into it from that perspective. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a steep learning curve yep. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, funny enough, like when you think about Kubernetes, I mean, it hasn't even been out to the public for a decade. 
and how long it typically takes, you know, uh, organizations to adopt a new technology. When you think about it, organizations have really only started to adopt Kubernetes for the past couple years, maybe two yeah. years, you know, um, it was around obviously before that, but organizations like now it's like, I feel like this year, right? The past year or so it's like starting to ramp up and, and people are starting to pay more attention to it, but it wasn't always the case. So then you have this uh, chicken and egg scenario where, okay, now it's time to ramp up on Kubernetes. We, we want the organization, you know, teams to use Kubernetes, but then what's happening? Well, nobody's had the experience with Kubernetes. So organizations can't find people to bring in for Kubernetes work. <laughs> so exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It seems like the need is increasing like every year for, for Kubernetes and, and Kubernetes and, you know, working in a container are big ones for sure. Yeah. I think I was reading, I was looking at some, some report by Gartner and they were saying, you know, by, uh, the end of the year they're expecting kubernetes workloads and just adoption in general to be up by like 75 percent which is 30 percent more than they were expecting last year uh oh, so wow. you know obviously take that with a grain of salt but you know it's because those numbers can change and all that good stuff but yeah it's interesting to see the adoption happening so one of the topics I, I know we wanted to talk about was Kubernetes and Terraform. Now, I know yes. you are a huge Terraform guy. Uh, you're a HashiCorp ambassador uh, for your contributions in the Terraform space. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you dive in a little bit there if you want. Feel free to go down any rabbit holes that you uh, deem necessary around Terraform and Kubernetes. Okay, yeah. Um, so first to start, ter what, what is Terraform? Um, Terraform is starting to get really, really popular. And it's like exploding in the last few years. Um, but essentially, it's just a really popular infrastructure as code tool. Uh, it's a little different than, you know, the older tools we've heard, like Puppet and Chef. Those are configuration management tools. Those are more geared towards the OS, uh, the operating system, configuring Linux and Windows. Um, what Terraform fills the gap in is all these different cloud native services now that we have to build applications. Like there's just so much, it's impossible to just build everything out by hand and to do it, you know, hundred uh, percent, no issues. So Terraform allows us to automate all of this and it, it works really well. It's extremely readable and very easy to learn and understand. Um, but one of the things with Terraform is if you don't structure your code very well, is you can create a lot of extra work for yourself. Um, so one of the big things, uh, one of the one of the big uh, kind of debates in the Terraform community is whether you should use it to deploy Helm packages. So the way that Terraform works is there's a um, Terraform provider. The provider allows Terraform to connect to the APIs of whatever system is automating. So there's a provider for essentially almost anything. You, you can create your own. Um, somebody created a, a provider for uh, ordering Domino's pizza, <laughs> kind of as a joke, but it still works. Um, <laughs> so the Helm provider allows you to deploy packages to your Kubernetes cluster. One mistake a lot of people do is they're like, oh, I'm just going to use Terraform to deploy all every, everything with Helm, even the application itself that I want to deploy. Um, so when you do that, 
it works for day one. Yay. You have your app deployed, but come day two, uh, and you know, days after that, just managing the life cycle of that app with Terraform is terrible. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of headaches making tweaks and changes with Terraform, uh, can cause a lot of extra work. So typically, uh, there's a separation of concerns that you want to put in place where you want Terraform just to manage the infrastructure and you want to use other tools to manage the app and the app configuration. So the general consensus with using Terraform with Kubernetes and the Helm provider is to just use Terraform to deploy like the low level platform things. So like with AKS, use your use the Helm provider to deploy pod identity, CS, the CSI driver store, um, external DNS, stuff like that, that your platform team is responsible for. And then let other tools like, you know, Argo CD or Flux manage deploying out the app. Um, so you could use Terraform to deploy, you know, to bootstart, bootstrap a, an AKS cluster to use Argo CD, um, but then let Argo CD deploy everything else. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the pattern that I've, that I've seen and that uh, is starting to work a lot better versus just, you know, let's just terraform everything. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, one of the things to bring up here for everybody listening, uh, cause I, I get this question uh, a little bit here and there, what Luke is referring to when he's saying like, you know, create, uh, application resources with terraform, some people might be like, well, what are you talking about? That's why we have Kubernetes manifest. And yes, absolutely. But the way that Kubernetes works is 95, 90, whatever percent of the time that you're interacting with Kubernetes, you're interacting with an API. So when you, let's say you create a Kubernetes manifest and you write some code and you deploy an app, all you're doing is doing a post request, a post API request to the Kubernetes API. So that means technically anything that you can do a post request with, you can create a Kubernetes resource with. So for example, with Terraform, instead of using a Kubernetes manifest, you could use Terraform to deploy an application. You could write some Python code to interact with the Kubernetes API and deploy a deployment or a service or ingress or whatever you want using Terraform or any other programming language, anything that you can push a post request to you can do. So, uh, Luke, really what you're saying is like, that's not, it, that's not, not a big no, no, but well, yeah, I guess it's a big no, no, right? Like you don't want to use Terraform for that. You want to use a Kubernetes manifest or something more, um, operable in, in today's world. Exactly. Yes. For, for the application itself, I would, because when you roll out changes for your app, you, you want to iterate fast. You want to be able to dis deploy changes quickly, um, with Terraform, it can, it'll slow it down because um, you're, you're coupling your infrastructure with your app. Um, so yeah, that's, that's typically the, the current consensus with the Terraform community on how you should be kind of separating the two. Um, the, other, uh, the other issue that I've, I've seen a lot with uh, Azure and deploying uh, Kubernetes configurations uh, with Terraform is there's when, when people uh, they combine all of their configurations for Terraform with the, the deploying AKS and then configuring Kubernetes all within the same 
configuration file with Terraform. And then they end up with all these bugs and they're basically race conditions, dependency issues. Um, I've had several people ask me, they're like, why, why can't this work? Why can't I deploy AKS and then configure it in the same, in the same Terraform configuration? And um, essentially it comes down to, you should be splitting up your Terraform configurations into different states, into different stacks is kind of what the, the term is. Um, that allows you to get rid of all these dependency issues. Um, the, the really interesting thing is on March 30th, uh, they release an update for the Terraform CDK and it allows you to deploy multiple stacks. Uh, and if you're not familiar with what the Terraform CDK is, um, it's essentially just, it's similar to the AWS CDK. So the AWS CDK came out first. People have been using it. People love it. Um, essentially what it does is it, it, it takes, um, it takes program, a regular programming language like TypeScript or Python, and it compiles that into uh, Terraform configurations. It's in JSON format. Terraform can read it. And then you use your Terraform modules to deploy that configuration out. So it adds this additional abstraction layer on top of your infrastructure configuration. So now you can do, you know, the imperative language of regular programming versus uh, the declarative nature of Terraform. So what, what people have been doing with Terraform is making these like, uh, crazy, crazy loops and if statements in their configs that make it super brittle. Um, and now with the Terraform CDK, you can take those loops and use an actual programming language to do it versus, you know, trying to use Terraform in a way that it's not supposed to be used for. Um, so this, this is really huge. Um, I think it's the next evolution of what infrastructure development will turn into with, you know, the popularity of Pulumi growing mm -hmm. and the popularity of, you know, wanting to create these amazing abstractions. Um, so developers just have to like click a button and then, you know, if they don't have to worry about getting an IP address, uh, you can create those with, you know, Pulumi and using the Terraform CDK. So I really think that's the next step. Um, right. in the infrastructure development world. Yeah, no, uh, it totally makes sense. Uh, and for everybody listening, if you're not familiar with the CDK, as Luke explained, it's infrastructure as code with a general purpose programming language. So instead of using Terraform, you could use Python, Go, TypeScript, whatever, to create your infrastructure code, uh, which is interesting. So if I'm a developer and I get a task, you know, and they say, hey, deploy uh, an Azure Kubernetes service cluster for me or any Kubernetes uh, cluster, right? Instead of using, or instead of having to go and learn HCL for Terraform, I can look and I can say, oh, well, I already know Go or I already know Python. So I'm just gonna create my Kubernetes cluster with Python or Go. And it, it kind of compiles in a sense to infrastructure code. Is that right? Exactly, yep. It uses this package called JSII, it was written by the AWS team. Um, and that, that basically handles the conversion. It converts it into TypeScript, basically. So the Terraform CDK, the AWS CDK, it's all written in TypeScript. So it's converting that uh, general purpose programming language into TypeScript. Got it, okay, cool, totally makes sense. So up until this point in the podcast, we've 
we've covered a lot. We've covered, you know, how to create Kubernetes clusters, how to manage Kubernetes clusters, how to deploy applications, right? All, all at this low level. But you did bring up something before that I, I, I want to I wanna touch on here, which is Argo CD, uh, which is, you know, this this whole GitOps movement, right? This yes. whole idea of having it, it really, in my opinion, it's configuration management for for Kubernetes. You have source yeah. control, you have a whole bunch of Kubernetes manifests and source control. Uh, you deploy some type of operator, like maybe Flux or Argo or whatever to your Kubernetes cluster. And then what happens is Kubernetes looks at your source control and it sees Kubernetes manifest and it knows that that's the desired state. And then if your Kubernetes cluster differs from that at all, it goes back to source control and it says, oh, my desired or my current state in the Kubernetes cluster does not match my desired state that's in source control. So with that being said, do you see a lot of things like Argo CD or just GitOps in general being super crucial in what you're doing in your day-to-day? Um, absolutely. I think the GitOps pattern is um, essential to managing stuff, especially at scale. Uh, it, it's impossible, like I said, like if you were configuring everything in Terraform, for like your application, what, what happens if you have to update, you know, multiple Kubernetes clusters with a certain config for that app? It would be, you know, it'd be really cumbersome uh, versus using GitOps, Argo CD. It kind of reminds me of like Puppet back in the day. You'd have your, your Puppet agent that would phone into the repository and then you would declaratively just say, you know, I want to configure it this way. Um, so yeah, I think it, I think it's essential when you're uh, managing these clusters at scale. Um, it really, really shines there. Um, totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think GitOps is you know because it's funny. I, I hear I hear two things. People ask me, hey, can I use you know let's say a CI/CD pipeline to build my Kubernetes manifest, turn it into an artifact, and deploy it. And a couple of years ago, I would have said, yeah, makes sense. You know, you don't want to run it manually on, on your local host from your terminal, right? Just deploy it via CI CD. But now with GitOps, I tell everybody, no, look into GitOps. It makes far more sense. It's honestly way less work and it works a heck of a lot better. So, yeah, exactly. And that's another thing. So, by using GitOps, you're also saving like how many team members it takes to roll out a change. That's that's one one thing I'm noticing. Uh, like you only have so many keystrokes in a day that you can do. So having these automation systems in place that are well oiled and work well without adding too much toil are essential, especially now with the IT talent sh- shortage. Uh, yeah, there there's all these different uh, tools that allow us to eliminate you know, having to manage all this stuff at scale and add more people to the team, which is, you know, much harder, especially nowadays than it used to be. Absolutely. Cool. Well, Luke, uh, first and foremost, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And second, uh, please plug your stuff. If you have anything that you want to share, if you want anybody to reach out to you via social media, uh, now is the time to do it. Yeah. Um, I'm, you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I don't, I haven't been doing much content creation lately. Uh, but in, at the end of the year, I plan on doing a full, full blown new, uh, Terraform architecture course on Azure with the Terraform CDK. So, uh, be on the lookout awesome. for that. 
Awesome. Well, Luke, again, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And I hope everybody enjoyed the episode. Thank you so much for listening.